Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pick a Flick podcast. My name is Stephen Bateman. I am the host of Why Haven't I Seen This? And I'm stepping in to guest host this program today. With me, I have Ben Beck from the Next Level Podcast Network. How's it going? Pleasure to meet you, sir. And I have Jane Douglas-Jones from 500 Days of Film. Is that correct? That's correct. Hi there. Hello. Pleasure to meet you. And today, we are talking about Christopher Nolan Films. Uh, let's pick a flick. The Prestige is a 2006 mystery thriller drama film directed by Christopher Nolan from a screenplay adapted by Nolan and his brother Jonathan from Christopher Priest's 1995 World Fantasy Award winning novel of the same name. Uh, the story follows Robert Angier and Alfred Borden, rival stage magicians in London at the end of the 19th century. Obsessed with creating the best stage illusion, they engage in competitive one-upsmanship with tragic results. Olivia means nothing. Olivia. I need an assistant. I can't <laughs> no, not have an assistant. I'll tell her. I know what you, you tell her what. I know what you really are, Alfred. I, I know. I know. Sarah. Sarah, Sarah, you can't talk like this. Sarah, shut up. Sarah, shut up! I don't want to hear it anymore! You can't talk like this! I can't live like this. Oh, would you think I can live like this? You think I'd bloody enjoy living like this? Alfred, I can't live like this! Well, what do you want from me? I... I want... I want you to be honest with me. No tricks. No lies. No secrets. today no okay so nolan is a little hit or miss with me but uh when it comes to the prestige uh this movie to me is absolutely brilliant and it's one of my personal favorites of christopher nolan uh i actually just refreshed myself on by watching it again yesterday and uh it, it, this this movie to me is just like i said it's just brilliant and it 
again, there's not a lot of Christopher Nolan work out there. You know, his numbers, he certainly doesn't have nearly as many uh, works as somebody, say, like Steven Spielberg or Michael Bay or anybody like that. But this, to me, uh, speaks volumes about the capacity that he has as a director. Yeah, absolutely. I got to say, I rewatched it for, I think, the third time yesterday as well. And even knowing the twist, I found myself really interested in how the characters engaged with each other. And how they interacted with the world. And I also noticed that there was a lot of tells. The movie showed you exactly what it was going to do over and over again. And I really thought that was a neat thing for to notice upon rewatching. I definitely agree. I mean, it, I think it's um, definitely my favorite Christopher Nolan film. And I think it just bears so many repeat viewings, doesn't it? Because every time I watch it, and I've watched it too many times to count now, which is um, just every time I watch it, I see something new and... It's it just is what well, even when you know the twist, it's just as much you know just as entertaining as ever. Oh, absolutely! One thing I did note, and this was a weird reaction I had when I first started. I'm so used to seeing Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, so to see him clean cut <laughs> really kind of threw me for a loop. But he's brilliant. He's brilliant in it, isn't he? He gives oh. such a great and nuanced performance. I think they're all all the performances in this film are just you know superb. Oh, absolutely. There wasn't a single moment in this movie where I didn't believe that they were their characters. I hung on the entire time. Even through Michael Caine, who is notable for being Michael Caine in different <laughs> situations and place and time. <laughs> he's just brilliant in this film, isn't he? He's just every time he comes on screen, I just I just have to smile because he's just such a warm and quite endearing presence in, in, in this in this one. Certainly. I mean, at first it seems like he's throwing uh, Borden under the bus, but once you see the full story play out, you can kind of see his role and see it's much kinder than it really was. Yeah, and Michael Caine almost seems to be uh, somewhat of a Christopher Nolan good luck charm. Uh, as he's in, he's been in a majority of his films. Every time you watch a Nolan film, you're like, where's he going to come on then? Where, where, <laughs> where are you, Michael? <laughs> Exactly. He's Nolan Stan Lee, for lack of a better description. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Binding the Edison-Tesla conflict into the story I thought was a really neat way to bring some parody to the story. Uh, Because the two have some very direct parallels, the conflict between Borden and Angier uh, mirrors the conflict between Edison and Tesla in a lot of really interesting ways. For example, Angier is desperate to steal Borden's tricks and Borden is just inventing things. So Borden in this case plays out as Tesla and Angier plays out as Edison. That's a really, it's a, a fascinating parallel, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, was re- I was really impressed to see that they went that far in. I thought having David Bowie as Tesla was just a neat little thing. I didn't realize there were a lot of parallels until I rewatched it. Did you, did you read, uh, actually, I think I got it from watching a, an interview with Christopher Nolan that he said that um, David Bowie turned that part down and that he had to get on the phone with him and persuade him. I did not know that. That would have been a, quite an interesting conversation to overhear. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I cannot imagine why Bowie would have turned this role down. He seems like he was meant to be there. Yeah, definitely. I love him in this role. I, I know you guys had mentioned too, you know, that this is a movie that marks uh, repeat viewing. Uh, but a little bit of the, I guess almost like the devil's advocate of that, it, with a movie like this that has such a twist ending or such a reveal at the end, I find that it's actually best to let the movie breathe a little bit before uh, watching it again because it, it kind of takes away from the astonishment of that reveal at the end. As I had mentioned, I watched it yesterday uh, to kind of refresh myself of the movie, and that was probably the first time in about six or seven years I had actually watched the film. And it made me... It it made that ending moments and and everything leading up to it just more eye-opening for me yet again. It almost felt like I was watching the movie again for the first time. That's really interesting because I hadn't really thought of that because I think I watched The Prestige sort of on a sort of quite a regular basis it's one of my go-to ones uh, films if I'm sort of feeling like I want something I know is going to be great and um, maybe I need to give it a bit more time to breathe so I can sort of watch it again and enjoy it again like the first time I watched it but um, I just I think with it you know like you said you, you you know the twist so you watch it again and then you see the tales and then you watch it again and you see just the wonderful cinematography that you hadn't really noticed before because you've been so busy trying to keep up and work out what was going on so um, 
I think that the layers of this film, um, you know, definitely one of the reasons why I love it so much. Um, and it is my favourite Christopher Nolan film. And it's so lovely to hear that it is, you know, one of yours as well, because whenever I say that, I get a few sort of strange Batman um, <laughs> comments. <laughs> no, no, I hear that. But this is honestly one of his better works. I'm not the biggest fan of his interpretation of Batman. Definitely Batman begins more than the others, but I... Honestly, I think he's better doing these weird period drama pieces than he is handling, say, a superhero flick. I was just thinking that one of the things that, um, and tell me if I'm sort of butting in, I can you know, chat for ages about this film, but I mean, I just was really interested in the, um, in the cinematography and the, the, the fact that they um, tried to use natural light throughout as much as they could um, in the prestige, that, um, that that was really important to get that kind of authenticity of the um, time and um, and that they were very keen to shoot everything at eye level to keep everything sort of very much engaged on the individual characters. I thought that was really interesting when I when I sort of um, when I found that out. I thought that just sort of just all that attention attention to detail was just you know I think it enriched the whole film. You, you know, it's funny. I almost didn't notice that. I noticed that the lighting of the film felt a little more organic, but it didn't even occur to me that they were using natural light as much as possible. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's just, I suppose, because of the time wouldn't have all the sort of, you know, the lighting that we have now, maybe it made it more authentic. Authentic, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I, I just thought that was really interesting. And, and obviously sort of love the cinematography of Wally Fister as well, that um that it all kind of came together and just looks so gorgeous. I think that really, you know, really gorgeous looking film. Christopher Nolan does definitely tend to have a darker uh, perspective when it comes to a lot of his movies. I mean, a lot, a majority of his films that I've seen, even going back as far as Memento, you know, probably leading up to maybe the first exception that I've seen with Inception and Interstellar is, you know, he tends to have that darker perspective uh, you know, all three of the Dark Knight movies, in Memento, as I had mentioned before, uh, Insomnia, which basically takes place in a very dark place the whole time. So it, the cinematography is very important to that. And the natural lighting, while it is natural lighting, still gives it that dark feel, but at, at the same time being very ominous and mm. beautiful at the same time as well. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you, you see it throughout his career. The guy likes to deal in real... Uh, really negative emotions which i think is a very honest place for a director to come from considering that the majority of movies deal with you know, positive things like hero like heroism and saving the day to focus so much on things like revenge rivalry uh, competition these are it's a very interesting set of themes he's chosen to work with and all of his but then all of his films also are sort of seem to to have a, a theme of, of of parents and children and and this sort of loss between parents and children which is something that i really love to see across all his films that really strikes strikes a chord with me that um you know the 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 love that borden has for his daughter and 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 going forward obviously um that theme sort of crops up again in interstellar but um I, I really like that sort of, although there is a lot of negativity, there's that kind of, you know, that, that love there, that sort of parental child, you know, father theme um, just seems really important across his work. Oh, certainly. I mean, you can't see darkness unless you're also painting with light. I just, sure. revenge seems to crop up a lot in the Memento and Batman and the Prestige and I guess Definitely. less so in Inception and Interstellar, but... Yeah, the guy likes to paint with darkness as much as he likes to paint with light. And that's sort of where I was going with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? That, um, yeah, I mean, he's such an intelligent director and demands a lot from his audience, you know, to sort of, you know, be, you know, you know doesn't sort of feed us, you know, all this sort of storyline and, and, and make it easy for us all the time, obviously. But, um, yeah, just just so rich the the films of his are just oh absolutely you're completely correct and we don't have enough directors who are willing to make an audience work for something i i guess it's really easy to spoon feed to just get ticket sales but to really do something that requires a lot of thought it's not something you see a whole lot out of hollywood these days no and i just i love that i mean i love the fact that you know during 
yeah, the prestige I'm thinking all the time and and I, I think I saw Michael Caine interviewed and he was saying you know this is not a film that you can just nip off to the toilet in the middle of <laughs> you need to pay, pay attention you need to be there the whole time absolutely put down your phone stop eating popcorn <laughs> pay attention yeah. and take notes <laughs> yeah I mean I have I have a habit of uh, popping on movies in in the background and, and kind of letting my attention wander a little bit but uh, going back and reviewing the prestige it, yesterday evening it was it was one of those moments that i haven't had in a while where i literally just sat glued to my screen pretty much the entire time while i was watching it even though i had seen the movie before it was just a, a true viewing experience because i knew it's an, a very intelligent film because in the fact that it does your wine your mind does wander the whole time you're constantly trying to figure out what the next move of this film is and I, I love experiences like that. And it's a, it's one of the reasons why I am a fan of Nolan films. Definitely. I know I spent a lot of time, because I knew the twist, I spent a lot of time trying to guess which Borden I was looking at. <laughs> think I got it right about half the time. But it was a lot of fun to try and pluck out, like, okay, is he Borden A or Borden B? <laughs> which one is he? What's going on now? I, and see, I never even... I, even though I knew that there were two of them, I still, again, having kind of stepped away from the film for a while it was uh it was one of those things that that was one thing about this movie that i kind of had put in the back of my head and didn't necessarily think about while i was watching really wow uh gosh i might have to wait a couple of years and watch it again see if i can get that experience <laughs> i did notice and this might just be me each different borden tilted his head slightly in a different direction really oh I haven't yeah that. yeah it's really slight and i might be imagining it so <laughs> feel free to yell at me if i'm wrong internet but <laughs> i'm gonna have to watch it again then a lot of it is just me being excited to see david bowie again mm. poor guy rest in peace but that that exchange was a lot of fun i don't know about fun but i certainly i certainly enjoyed the hell out of watching bowie on screen again and Honestly, seeing Jackman outside of Wolverine, I feel like he's going to be typecast for a while. Uh, he most likely is, especially considering the fact that he's still continuing to play that part even past, uh, you know, the time that we're doing this. I mean, he's going to be playing that part in at least two more films. Uh, but see, I, I think even though I am a huge fan of comic books and comic book movies and such, and, and especially the X-Men films in particular, I, I see him more uh, as Jean Valjean more than anything else. He's such a versatile actor, isn't he? Because he can do it all. I mean, he can be sort of that sort of superhero. He can sing, he can dance. He's sort of got great comic timing like in Eddie the Eagle. He was just fantastic in that. And it was lovely to see him, um, you know, take on that role. I wasn't sure whether it was going to work, but I really liked him in that. So, um, and it was great to see him in something that wasn't Pan, which I, you know, I just, I think I mentioned that in the podcast before when we were talking about him. Um, films that really kind of annoyed me that his performance in Pan was, you know, was, it wasn't him, but, you know, it was just great to see him in Eddie the Eagle and and, th and remember how, you know, how sort of what a charismatic screen presence he is. Um, I thought it was really interesting that um, Christopher Priest wouldn't let any other director direct his book. And I haven't read his book to my shame. I should definitely get a hold of a copy, but um I mean, I thought it was really interesting that and the fact that sort of he had watched Memento and that's why he thought that Christopher Nolan would be the right director for his his work. So I thought that was you know, quite an interesting sort of origin story. <laughs> oh, I didn't actually know that. Uh, I didn't do a lot of reading into the background of the movie so much as focus on the movie itself. But that sure. is fascinating. Just It just made me you, you sort of. Maybe it was interesting to sort of, you know, for me when when I sort of I sort of did a, a post um, a few months ago about the prestige, and that's why I, I kind of looked back and sort of looked at all the the stories surrounding the um, the sort of creation of the film, and I just thought that was really really fascinating, and I really must watch that film, but uh, read that book. But um, yeah, I mean, it, I think it took them about five years, him and, and, and Jonathan Nolan, his brother, to to come up in, and, and sort of hone that screenplay, which um, just goes to show how sort of how hard he works on on, on screenplays and you know how you know, involved he is, and you know, he's not just sort of interested in you know getting these films done, you know these screenplays done quickly and out and on to the next thing. He's sort of you can tell that sort of the depth of everything, and you know when when you watch it that. Um, it's been a lot of hard work gone in. 
I do have to say too, on a note with the uh, with the cast of the film. I mean, we've mentioned uh, Hugh Jackman and David Bowie, and I, I do have to say one thing worth noting about the cast is this is one of the very rare occurrences uh, and appearances of Andy Serkis not in CGI form of any kind. That's right. Very rare. <laughs> Yeah, because we see him in. I mean, very recently we saw him in the latest Star Wars. He's been in the Planet of the Apes, Planet of the Apes films, uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron, of course, uh, Lord yeah. of the Rings. But yeah, it's very rare that you see him playing a, an actual human being and not anything having to do with CGI, which just goes to show you he's he's great at both of those kinds of roles. Definitely, he's just fantastic isn't he yes he is so much so that i didn't know that was andy circus until you just pointed it out (laughs) (laughs) i had no idea i was like who's this guy i really like watching him and now i look yeah andy circus wow that is cool But I mean, again, that's that's one of the reasons why you might not have even recognized him is because for the most part, most people know him for the CGI roles that he does in which you don't really get to see his face. So this is one of those rare occurrences where he plays himself and well, not himself, but he's, you know, not any kind of he's an actual actor, not this time around, not in any kind of CGI form. So you actually get to see what he looks like. Oh, absolutely. I think I, I'd, also, I'd also like to sort of um, say that I really enjoyed Rebecca Hall in this film. I thought she was just really brilliant. And, yeah, I think that, um, you know, it was one of the first times I think I'd seen her in a feature film. And, you know, no surprise that she's sort of gone on and, and done some really interesting work since. just going to move on uh, to just talking about Christopher Nolan in general. My first experience with him, honestly, was Memento. Mm. Uh, and this is back when I was getting into really odd indie films with different perspectives and experimentation and story structure. And this movie blew my mind. Granted, this was, you know, I was 12, 13 at the time, I think. So not having a lot of life experience, pretty much anything had blow my mind at that point. But I still enjoy this movie, and I actually just rewatched it. Gosh, a couple weeks ago. See, I was I was very late to the game on uh, Memento. I hadn't maybe watched that movie for the first time until maybe seven or eight years ago. Uh, it was one I had always had on my list to watch, and I had many, many people recommend it to me, especially being a fan of film as I am and actually getting into filmmaking as I have in the past uh, six or seven years. So it was something that was recommended to me and that I finally gave a shot six or seven years ago. However, my first, uh, I guess, foray into Christopher Nolan films was actually Insomnia, uh, mainly because I, I was and still am to this day a absolute huge probably one of the biggest you'll ever meet fans of robin williams and this was a very dark role for him that i i wanted to see and i absolutely loved the film not just for the fact of of robin williams and the casting and al pacino as well but just just the film itself i found very dark and stunning at the same time and that that was my first foray into christopher nolan that's a fantastic film isn't it just superb Mm -hmm. Yeah, my, my, my first um, Christopher Nolan film was, was Memento too. So, um, yeah. And I think, I mean, as the sort of the years have gone on, he's definitely, you know, you know in my top five favorite directors. I'm sure many people would say the same. But, um, you know, just every film he, he sort of produces is really interesting and, and you know, say, thought-provoking. Oh, I, absolutely. I think I've seen Insomnia, but it has been a while. I have to revisit that. I remember Robin Williams being particularly vicious in that movie, but it's been a bit, so I kind of want to revisit it. Uh, Thank you for reminding me to do that. Batman Begins was kind of my favorite, but I'm a big fan of rehashing the Batman origin story for some reason. Just every time I want to see a different take on it. See, I'm, I'm I'm the opposite on that. I feel like we've seen that so many times now at this point. We know how Batman got started, and and now I just kind of want to I just want to kind of see a Batman movie now. I don't need to see the origin anymore. But that doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy Batman Begins. I liked the different take on it this time around. And again, I I mentioned, uh, you know, how The Dark Knight was my favorite of the three. And 
Uh, one of the main reasons for that too is the Dark Knight Returns or the Dark Knight Rises was not is probably my least favorite of the three, and it's it has nothing to do with Christopher Nolan. I think I still think the movie is brilliantly shot. It still looks fantastic. Uh, I think that was more. I think that film was more hurt by the death of Heath, Heath Ledger than anything else, because original plans for that story were to have Heath Ledger return as the Joker. They did have nothing to do with Bane. To anybody who did not know that. Yeah, the original story for The Dark Knight Rises was going to be Heath Ledger returning as the Joker. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, with the untimely death of Heath Ledger, plans for that kind of had to change and they had to go a different way. And it was kind of almost short notice and last minute they were on time crunches as far as story. So I think story-wise is where it hurt it. it. It wasn't with directing. So it has nothing to do with Christopher Nolan and his ability to direct and, and produce. I didn't know that. That sort of changes my opinion. I'm going to have to rewatch that with that in mind. I've actually, I actually just went back and rewatched the, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy probably about two weeks ago. So they're, they're still kind of fresh in my head right now too. Oh, right on. It, it has been a while for me. So I, probably should go and revisit these with that in mind i I told you i'm a big fan of comic books and more so comic book movies than comic books but uh you know i look into these i i have a pop culture podcast myself too so i kind of kind of have to know these things occasionally now i i guess uh, on the negative side of christopher nolan and kind of sticking with you know the superhero films as such one of the Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary things that uh, I know a lot of people don't necessarily know is he actually has writing credits on Man of Steel uh, which was the Zack Snyder directed Superman reboot you know I think that was 2013 I believe that movie I, I was I was not a fan of so I, I don't directly blame Christopher Nolan but he does in fact have a little bit of blame for uh, for that for me not liking that film uh, he's oh, human. Sure. He is. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> well, do you? I, I know that um, I've heard a lot that people feel that um, Christopher Nolan has a very kind of cold directing style, um, very technically brilliant, but sort of cold emotionally. And I've heard this sort of banded around quite a bit. And I've, I've never felt it myself. I was wondered if either of you had had felt that at all. I could see him being somewhat strict given the amount of demand he's placing on the technology and on the actors to get things as precise as he wants. I don't necessarily know about cold. I cannot imagine somebody being that involved with the project ever being cold about it. I think this, his, sort of, his films have that sort of cold, or his, it's been said that his films have had that kind of, have not been... Um, as emotional or you know have have been slightly technically brilliant but not sort of as emotional not necessarily how he is as a director but um, oh, oh. um the sense you get from the film itself um which again i haven't experienced but it when, when i was sort of doing some research and, and and listening to um him talk he was asked you know about this and I, it just struck me i'd never thought that you know i mean i've 
never really sort of thought about that. So I, I, I wondered if it was something that you had experienced. Oh, no, definitely not from my perspective. These films feel things very deeply. Uh, they're very sad movies, but with a small core of hopefulness right at the center. Like I say, he, li- he, he likes to paint with these negative emotions, and I feel like the movies push that off. But there's always a core of hope, a core of you know, love. No, I don't. I, I don't think these are cold films at all. I, I think they are just not bright and happy or hopeful and inspiring. Unless you get into the direct correlation of cold in the planet in Interstellar, then, ah. <laughs> then it definitely is cold. <laughs> all right, uh, and I do want to hit this really quick. I want to thank uh, Fake Ass Radio at Fake Ass Radio on Twitter for nominating the Prestige. Totally forgot to hit that on the fly. And just so I don't forget, uh, Steve Aldersley at In the Frame 1 nominated Interstellar for us to talk about. So uh, let's go ahead and get into Interstellar. Let's pick up Flick. Interstellar is a 2014 epic science fiction film directed by Christopher Nolan and starring Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, Jessica Chastain, and Michael Caine. God, I hope I pronounced those names right. Uh, the film features a crew of astronauts who travel through a wormhole in search of a new home for humanity. Brothers Christopher and Jonathan Nolan wrote the screenplay, which has its origins in a script Jonathan developed in 2007. Christopher Nolan produced the film with his wife, Emma Thompson, through their production company, Sin Copy, and with... Linda Opst through Linda Opst Productions. Caltech theoretical physicist Kip Thorne, whose work inspired the film, was an executive producer and acted as scientific consultant. I can't be your ghost right now. I need to exist. They chose me. Murph, they chose me. You saw it. You're the one who led me to them. That's exactly why you can't go. I figured out the message. One word. You know what it is? Stay. It says, stay, Dad. You don't believe me. Look at the books. Look at this. It says stay. Why? You're not listening. It says stay. Coming back. When? One for you. One for me. When I'm up there in hypersleep. Or... Or traveling near the speed of light, or near a black hole. Time's gonna change for me. It's gonna run more slowly. When we get back, we're gonna compare. Time will run differently for us? Yeah. I mean, by the time I get back, we we might even be the same age. You and me. What? Imagine that. I have no idea when you're coming back. No idea. Oh! Oh, Don't, don't mind. Don't make me leave like this. Come on, Murph. Don't make me leave like this, Murph. Hey, I love you forever. You hear me? I love you forever. And I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Gosh, you know, uh, of the two, this is, I don't want to say least favorite, but certainly the one I was dreading going through and revisiting it again, just because of the time (laughs) involved. It's long, isn't it? It is long, and I don't want to say a slog exactly, but... Yeah, it's a running time of, I think, two hours and 50 minutes, if if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, it it definitely yeah. is a commitment to to go back and rewatch this film as I, uh, I, as I 
you'll be able to tell when I t- when I say this. I committed my night last night on a on a Saturday night to rewatching uh, the films of Christopher Nolan, those specifically, uh, you know, the Prestige and Interstellar, which I knew we would we would be discussing uh, on this recording. But it's I don't want to say it's my least favorite of the two as well. It definitely has its moments. Uh, but to me, just personal opinion, as I did enjoy this movie, I didn't love it. Uh, I felt more like this would make because of the running time, and because you know, it, a, a movie for the most part has three chapters: there's the beginning, the middle, and the end. And to me, this had probably five to six chapters, which made me feel almost this movie would have been better off as a more expensive network miniseries rather than a, a, a full-length film. Oh, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. that. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, isn't it? I think it would have been oh, a brilliant I, miniseries. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Expanded over six or eight hours. Gosh, we could have gotten into a lot of that stuff. That is a hell of an idea. I that's think genius. actually compacting it into almost three hours probably did the story a lot of disservice well not even to to make it a a four like a a five or six hour miniseries but even extend it maybe about an hour and make it like a four-part miniseries uh i think i probably would have enjoyed this movie a lot more enjoyed this story rather a lot more if that were the case i i agree this is why the public sometimes should have input on what these directors do i mean again it's it, it takes away nothing from the directing of this film. I think the film is brilliant. It has very, unlike a lot of his other films, it has some very vibrant and uh, not exactly colorful, but just very vibrant, stunning, picturesque scenes that, you know, definitely stand out and are not as dark, you know, especially uh, on some of the, the planets that they visit and such and it, it it stands out as a different kind of role from or a different kind of film that he has done before but again i think i, I think it kind of struggled as a film i think as, as i mentioned before it just would have been better as a miniseries yeah i agree i mean it's gorgeous stunning to look at i mean it, you know re-watching it i just thought gosh you know i mean it, it i was worried because you know watching it on a smaller screen i was thinking you know will i will it sort of suffer from that but I mean I just was you know I just had that same sort of awe when I was watching it um uh, you know many of the, the the sort of the shots were just I was just sort of my eyes couldn't be <laughs> I couldn't make my eyes wide enough to sort of take it all in so it was you know absolutely um just just lovely to watch just gorgeous but I agree I think it was I know I have such a conflicted sort of such conflicted thoughts about this film i have as you know many um reasons for loving it as as i have probably for for not liking it as much as other christopher nolan films sort of um yeah i do feel it's it's just such such a sort of commitment such a time commitment you know so long and i don't necessarily feel like it needed to be that long it just felt like there was you know parts of it that could have been tightened i think that maybe um you know, the, and for me, the story just didn't seem to be, um, it didn't seem to be as tight as everything else that he's ever, that he's done. All the, every, he didn't seem to maybe be as, as in control of the narrative um, as he um, as he has been in, in other films. Um, you know, just, it's just kept spinning this, this story and, and, and um, it's, it's, it's not my favourite, but I think, you know, thank goodness for someone like Christopher Nolan and, and for the people involved in this film for bringing something original and create and you know having the courage to sort of to go ahead and make such an amazing amazingly ambitious film you're totally right there there's a lot to like and a lot to be less than thankful for in this movie i the density i think more than the length was the thing that scared me because there is a lot of information to take in to really appreciate this movie and whereas with the prestige for example they were happy to repeat things over and over to make sure people were on page in this movie if you miss something it's gone there's so much to unpack that again put down the phones don't eat the popcorn you have to pay attention to this and i feel like whereas that works in the prestige it worked a lot less here and i I'm, I'm i'm so i'm such a like i don't know science at all and and you know i couldn't sort of make you know couldn't tell you what was what was real and what was sort of you know you know, imagined and you know, in in this film because I just was I just let it all wash over me a little bit. But there were times when I did think that there was a lot of, and I know this is when one of the criticisms of the film, a lot of sort of very clever people explaining things to each other that I 
that jarred with me. You, you know, there they were sort of astronauts explaining stuff and, it, you know, I thought, gosh, you might as well just turn and face the camera and explain it to me because you guys probably know, should know this. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I guess a, a good comparison to that, too, would be, uh, I, I guess, again, not a Christopher Nolan film, so not to go off too far off topic, but The Martian uh, is a good topic where a lot of the science was explained, and it helped me to understand that movie and enjoy that movie so much because I do absolutely love that movie. It's probably one of my favorite movies from, like, the past five years. Uh, and, and as you had mentioned, too, Stephen, with Interstellar, it's – if. If you're not paying attention, you can miss a lot, and you're never really given the opportunity to go back and revisit it at all. And sometimes even when I've found a flaw in this movie is sometimes even when you are paying attention, you still miss it uh, because it's it's explained in such a way that it's it might be a little bit hard to understand. It kind of goes over the heads of some of the viewers. Yeah, that is, that is a valid point. I mean, this movie is much higher than the average viewer. God, that sounds so condescending, but I sincerely don't mean it. Most people don't have a lot in terms of astrophysics, and this is a lot of astrophysics to be putting into a movie. Well, it's not only that, but I mean, we're in a world now, and unfortunately, I it's something I, I'm very disappointed by, but we're in a world now with, with people who have, and I apologize to anybody, I don't mean to offend anybody when I say this, but uh, we're in a world now where people have so much shorter attention spans. So to to expect people to commit to a three-hour movie in which it's nonstop science, uh, you're going to lose the attention of a lot of people. And I think that's one of the reasons why this movie doesn't stand out as a favorite to so many people. Because people, if you if you get halfway into a movie like this and you're not understanding what's going on, you're going to lose interest. And your attention is going to go elsewhere. You're not going to pay as much attention and you're going to miss even more. So I know a lot of people who viewed this movie and kind of didn't enjoy it because they didn't understand it. Uh, to someone like me, uh, even I, like, I, I, I love intelligent film. I love intelligent television. And, uh, you know, I'm extremely turned off by reality shows and, and things like that. So movies like this are right up my alley. But even to me, there were certain times where, where I'm watching at home. I, I didn't go to see this movie in theaters because I knew uh, it might go over even my head a little bit. And even watching at home, the first time I viewed it, I, I had to rewind it. I had to, to go back a little bit every once in a while, even if by like 30 seconds, just to miss something or just to catch something I might have missed. Yeah, there were a lot of spots where I found myself like, wait, hold on, where's that from? And either looking at the plot summary or again rewinding to try and follow a conversation just to make sure I was on board which is a shame because there is a really beautiful story here and I think it's just I think it's held down by all of this uh, science and technical jargon that I think if they could have simplified those explanations a little bit would have let people see the really beautiful story about love overcoming science. Uh, or, or as I had mentioned before, to at least draw it out a little bit further instead of making it a movie, again, making it the miniseries, giving it more time uh, to allow the audience more time to kind of understand what's going on and give a little bit more explanation as to everything instead of kind of trying to rush through it as they did. Oh, yeah. Either either approach would work. I think, honestly, the miniseries would be a way better take on this movie than the three-hour chunk of film we got. Yeah, it's one of those situations, too, where, I mean, if you were to approach a network, uh, you know, as an agent or whatever, as a writer, and, you know, tell them, you know, hey, we have a miniseries by Christopher Nolan, written by Christopher Nolan, how many of those networks are really going to turn you down with that name? None of them. They'd have yeah. to be dumb. <laughs> but what about the spectacle? Would we, I mean, would, because obviously a lot of the shots were sort of, you know, would, they, would that have been as good sort of on, a, on small screens, not giving it a chance to sort of have that big cinematic experience? That, that's a valid point. I mean, sometimes, you know, with the visual aspect of it and the cinematography might be a little lost, not being able to see it on the big screen. So I could, I could see that. Uh, I mean, there are definitely... One shot in particular is the planet that they land on with the huge tsunami wave that comes in. And I mean, it's such a... A, a massive undertaking to do that scene that, uh, yeah, I guess a little bit of it would be lost in watching it on, on a smaller screen, not in theaters. But even as a home viewer going back, I mean, again, as I'd mentioned, I didn't see this movie on the big screen at all. I watched it for the first time when it was released on Blu-ray and I was still in awe 
of everything, even watching it on like a 42 inch television at home in HD, I, I was still in awe of everything. So I don't know if it would be completely lost, but again, it probably wouldn't be the same exact impact as if you watched it on a big screen. Yeah, that's right. Cause that, I'm not, I, yeah, that's like what I found quite interesting was the fact that I enjoyed it as much on the small, on my smaller screen. So yeah, that's true. Maybe there's, you know, maybe that's no argument for it, for it not to be. A miniseries, but I, I, mean, I just, um, I would have actually really liked that kind of more time with this story, particularly I think because the, um, I, I really liked the beginning parts of it, and I really liked Mackenzie Foy in it, and I think I'd have, I'd have liked to have spent more time with her because I thought she just was so superb in in her performance. Oh, exactly, especially considering the fact of the importance of her character in the film, uh, not just, you know, as the younger version as Mackenzie plays, but, you know, in, I mean, we had, uh, it was Jessica Chastain who played the the older version, and Ellen Burstyn who played the, the much older version of Murph in the character, even though it was not that large of a role for her but it's it, she's such an important role but yeah that it would have been nice to spend a little bit more time with her character especially you know in the beginning of the film when she's interacting with these ghosts we don't really get to or you know the, what she believes to be the ghost we don't see a lot of that we know what it is by the end of the movie but we don't get a lot of interaction with that in the beginning of the film to kind of understand the importance of it in the beginning the ghost thing seems silly until the end and i i wish we had spent more time with it exploring exactly what it was uh i feel i feel like mcconaughey's character cooper did not react the way a normal person would being told there was a ghost in a bedroom. I feel like he didn't give the character enough, uh, I don't know. The character in that moment didn't feel sincere. It, it, this is the only point where I have that complaint where I felt like this is not how a person would react to that. Yeah, that, I think that point, and I think that Matthew McConaughey is absolutely incredible in this performance. And when he sort of, you know, and some of the emotions he portrays are just, again, heartbreaking. And so, you know, just love him in this film um but there's that point and also the point right at the end of the film when he sees um his daughter um Ellen Bernstein sort of just comes in and sees her sort of obviously very frail and I just felt that was a really weird scene um after they sort of spent such a long time trying to sort of find each other again and that was just just fairly low-key and I was thinking if that was me and I'd been sort of searching for my daughter I think I would be that there was there'd be more emotion and I wouldn't really want to just then wander off because she told me to I think I'd want to sort of have a chat with her a little longer <laughs> yeah absolutely that that was very strange that very strange to just up and disappear again but I there was so much going on in this movie I feel like they had to write it that way but the ending is so weird and I know that there are in, you know, there are interpretations of the ending and and, and sort of one of the things sometimes I, because having watched it a few times I the first time I didn't really think anything at all and then the second time I was thinking oh is this sort of is this his death kind of dream as as sort of you know the Matt, Matt Damon's character was talking about you know you'll see your loved ones again and, and just before you die and is this is this it or is this is it actually true and I just I can't make that ending I can't find it satisfies either of those two interpretations of the ending. I find there's sort of things that just unsettle me with both of those things. Because if it was just his sort of the dream that he was having before dying and that, that from just going into that sort of you know, black hole, that doesn't really seem to ring true. And also if he actually did manage to sort of you know come through it and meet up with her, the way he responds and what he does then also doesn't seem to unless he was just doing something to sort of you know honor her um by actually finding a planet to you know actually finishing his mission but i i did find the ending a bit troubling i mean again <laughs> it goes back to the running time I, I think it goes back to the running time of the film is i mean we've already had so much story at this point and at this point we're already up to about a, a three hour uh, you know, approaching a three-hour running time. I mean, when he finally meets Murph uh, in her older age, there's maybe, what, five to ten minutes left of the film. So I feel like it was almost like a rush to get out of the film. Uh, and then, uh, you know, at the very end, obviously, when we see him commandeer the... We see him take a ship and go to rescue Brand, played by Anne Hathaway. Um, 
I felt like that was almost another chapter we could have gotten of this story that we're kind of left without by the end. You know, it's so open-ended that I, I guess it's left to interpretation, but see, I didn't see it as anything more than straightforward what it was. He, he came out of the black hole and he, he, you know, he said goodbye to his daughter after saying hello to her for the, in, in however long, in over a hundred years for her. And then he goes off to rescue Anne Hathaway's character. I, I took it as pretty straightforward, but I guess looking at it that way, it left a lot to be desired, the ending. Yeah, I agree. I think you've got such a good idea with this this series thing. I think they could still go back and do that. <laughs> uh, they probably could. I mean, I don't know if the casting would be the same, obviously, because it would be a lot more yeah. filming time. And I don't know if a, if a network would commit to it now after it's already been a film. Uh, but I could I could be very wrong about that. I mean, we're we're in a time of constant reboots and reimagining, so it, it could definitely probably still have a second chance at a. Uh, at that or if, if anything in a novel form I would read it just to find out more and maybe get a better understanding of the story that we already know so Let's go ahead and close this guy up for today. Ben, did you have anything you wanted to push? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can push my own podcast as well. I host a uh, – I'm actually the co-creator of a podcast network in which we have a number of different podcasts, but I am the co-host of one called The Showcast. That is a weekly pop culture podcast where we talk about you know new films coming out, box office results, any kind of stories, things like that, as well as a number of celebrity interviews that we have every week as well, uh, all in information for that can be found on our website which is nextlevelradioonline.com all right excellent i'll check that out as soon as we're done here uh jane what did you want to push um well i'm watching 500 films in 500 days um over at um, 500daysoffilm.com and um yeah about uh, a year into the challenge and and just you know would love anybody to come over and and um, or connect with me on Twitter at 500 Days of Film. Right on. Definitely going to do that right after this. Uh, and as for me, you can find me on Why Haven't I Seen This, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the usual places, or at celebrategeek.com forward slash whist. Uh, you can also hear me portraying Edwin Misnomer Bondshift on the Atheist Apocalypse podcast. And you can find all of my work under the Pants Pending Studios podcast network at facebook.com forward slash pants pending. All right. Well, thank you guys for talking with me about Nolan Films today. It was certainly a pleasure. Well, thank you for having yes, me. Thank you for having me as well. Absolutely my pleasure. And thank you, dear listeners, for making us part of your listening day. You guys have a wonderful day. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.